Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where I talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And today on the show, I'm going to be talking about our one-year anniversary. Not of the show, but of our traffic world coming to an end. At least to a big change. It's been a year since the shutdowns. And it's been a year since everybody was forced off the roads. And it's been a year since we've been dealing with this pandemic of COVID-19 and how it has really changed how we get around. It, it th- There are some fundamental differences now between pre-COVID and now post-COVID traffic, transportation, this includes walking and biking and and using the the public transit. All of it has really changed. And recently, I did a story for television that looked at the year since the lockdowns and since traffic evaporated from the roads and how eerie it was, how creepy and, and odd it was. And I, and I still, you know, I still have that letter in my glove box from Homeland Security that grants me access to the roads. When when everybody was shut down, the Homeland Security sent uh, some of these letters to some of the news media. So you, if you did get pulled over, uh, you could say show this letter to the uh, the police and say, "Hey, I, I have justification to be on the roadways, so I'm not just driving around joyriding." Now there were a lot of people that were doing that anyway. Uh, and not a lot of officers were, were stopping them. Uh, but I had one of those because I was, air quotes here, an essential journalist. Um, but as part of my story for TV, you can actually see that from the link in the description of this uh, show. You can see that, uh, that TV piece. I, I did some interviews with some traffic people asking them what they think about where traffic has been and where traffic is going. Uh, I have three interviews that I'm going to play over the next three episodes. The first one is with someone I've talked to before. I think it was back in May of 2020. So we were coming out of the lockdowns. Uh, It was a couple of months after the uh, traffic was uh, forced off the roadways. And it started to pick back up again as some essential businesses were opening. And we were just trying to find our way, putting our toe in the water, if you will, how we were going to start to get through this pandemic in the early stages. And so uh, it was Gil Edwards, and Gil is with Iteris and Traffic Karma Mobility Trends. And what they do is they look at data. They look at traffic data. That's all basically they do. They look at traffic counts, how many people are out there, what time they're out there. And, and they did some interesting observations and have a whole lot of data from pre-COVID levels to post-COVID levels. And that's what I was talking to Gil uh, about, I think it was back in last May. And we were talking about how traffic was starting to pick back up and and where we thought traffic was going to be going from there. Well, I thought it was a good time now that we're a year into this thing to talk to Gil once again about how traffic has changed in the year since the lockdown. Because it, it was really about a year ago, our traffic world came to a total stop. Traffic patterns haven't been the same. So, Gil, thanks for being here on the show. And how have you seen traffic change nationwide? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I think uh, some of the biggest takeaways is that we've, or maybe to frame this too, we, we do have this platform, Traffic Karma Mobility Trends, and what it does is it analyzes roadway data uh, specifically built upon comparisons of a pre-COVID norm to what they are today. So uh, when I reference any of these percentages that we might talk about, uh, it's going to be in a, in a comparison to that. Uh, nationally, I think maybe the biggest dynamics were at a, at a high level that we saw this, you know, huge dip in April, right after uh, the March lockdowns were announced. It, it, you know, the effects were immediate, but it took about a month for it to hit what we would call peak low. Uh, and for on a national level, by April 13th, we were at a negative 40, uh, 47% below the pre-COVID norm uh, that we would have established. Over the summer, we saw great increases of, of travel and miles traveled. People began to start using their cars again, nicer weather, maybe a little bit more confidence or, or people just getting a little uh, stir crazy and wanting to get out into the car. When we hit into the fall, we had new surges of COVID cases and COVID deaths that instituted new lockdowns across the country and sent those, uh, those roadway miles traveled numbers back down again, uh, not nearly as low as they were in April. And we're now beginning to see steady increases as we get back into the spring. Uh, on a national level, from the peak low in April to January, we saw about a 55% increase from that peak low, uh, which still put us at about negative 25 to negative 23% below the pre-COVID norms. I know that's a lot of numbers, but hopefully that, that makes sense. What's most interesting, I think, in this data is that people are are changing with the pandemic. Their behaviors are changing. They're going on more summer road trips and they're working from home and, and all of that is changing what traffic looks like, it, it seems, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, and I think it varied per market and uh, per place. Uh, when we look at the Denver data, uh, we see those summer months actually eclipsing the pre-COVID norms in total miles traveled. Uh, keep in mind the number of trips that people take might be different than miles traveled, but we, we definitely saw some pretty strong numbers for Denver uh, in the summer and, and spring months of last year. You know, we anticipate that growth to likely happen again as, as you know, things like the vaccine are further distributed. Uh, we see maybe a little bit better medical control over, over COVID cases uh, and the consumer confidence, if you will, that, that comes into play with, with all of those things as, as the vaccine is, is further distributed out into the public at bigger numbers. I would also say that the total miles traveled for on a national and a, on a local level are still quite large. Even when you see percentages that are low, they're just spread across different day parts and different hours of the day. So where your traditional um, morning and afternoon drive uh, commute times might be a little spread out further throughout the day uh, with stronger numbers happening in the midday as well. I've seen that exact same thing where in the morning, it's still, the traffic level is still well below where it was pre-COVID, but the midday traffic, that traffic from, let's say, nine o'clock to three o'clock, that uh, typical workday traffic, there's a lot more people out driving during those midday hours than for the morning or afternoon commute. What do you think accounts for all of that? Well, I think we have a lot of people that are working from home, maybe not as many as people think. You know, we still have essential workers, uh, people that still have to commute day to day in their car to get to their jobs. Uh, but we have a obviously larger than before percentage of people 
that are working from home. And in fact, they have greater access to their car. Uh, we've seen Apple Maps data uh, and navigation data go up since pre-COVID norms because more people have access to their car throughout the day. You know, imagine maybe you took public transportation in the past and you were at work and you didn't have access to your car, but now you're working from home and you have your car and you can go run errands and do things and, and be out on the roads. Those times have shifted. So for Denver specifically, in morning drive, you know, in the 7 a.m. hour for January, we were looking at a negative 11% below the pre-COVID norm. But conversely, at 11 a.m. and noon, we're looking at 13% above the pre-COVID norms uh, than, you know, what we even saw before the pandemic and the lockdown had happened. So, um, you know, we're seeing greater numbers between 9 a.m. and 2 p.m. and downward trends still in the traditional commute morning, morning and afternoon drive commute times. Is this a permanent change? Are we going back ever to a traditional pre-COVID morning and afternoon commute? Or do you think this is a traffic pattern that is going to become the new normal? So, you know, we have a lot of data to lean on. I think it's hard in this case with something this unique to make a firm prediction on. Um, you know, we can't predict the future and whether it's new COVID variances or um, or uh, you know, elements of, of health uh, data that, that no one can control. Um, but I think if you look at the patterns uh, and you look at what's happening and what the CDC predicts, um, the CDC is predicting, I think, about a 50% case drop over the next month, um, largely due to combined, you know, natural herd immunity from people that had already had COVID and, and don't have, you know, are likely less at risk than people, the ever increasing numbers of people that are taking on the vaccine. These things I think will bring consumer confidence back and allow for more road travel and people going back to the office in slow amounts over the next year. You know, but is there a cultural change taking place too? And, and I think that's uh, out of the scope of the data that I have, but will could people continue to work from home even if they had the ability to go back to an office? <laughs> um, I think it just depends maybe on your line of business and, and whether it's required to go back and, and how that's handled. But um, yeah, I think, I think it might shift, but I, I would expect to see morning drive and afternoon drive come back uh, with a bit more strength as we get into the summer months and into the fall. I'm speaking with Gil Edwards. Gil is with Iteris and Traffic Karma Mobility Trends. We're talking about how traffic has changed in the years since the lockdowns. And even though traffic volume has decreased, it has appeared, though, that from your data, that incidents like crashes, especially serious crashes and deadly crashes, have not decreased that much. Yeah, this is some fascinating information and, and dynamics that we were seeing earlier on where as the pandemic was going into effect and, and the lockdowns were going into effect, roads were clearing because less people were on the road. So what happens when you have an empty road? There was certainly a dynamic of more severe accidents that were happening earlier in the pandemic. People were maybe more prone to speed or go faster than they should be going. Um, what we're seeing now is, um, and th those accident numbers began to rise faster than, at a rate than people were traveling on the roads as a whole. Uh, so now we're seeing numbers equal to last year and the year before in terms of numbers of incidents, but we're still at a decreased miles traveled. So I, I like to say that the incident ratio is higher now than it was in a, in a pre-pandemic uh, situation for us. Sadly, unfortunately, but, um, 
but hopefully um, that will continue to improve. As I look at the data from other large cities, it seems some have come back quicker and I guess differently than others. Like New York City uh, dropped off dramatically like most cities did. And then in the summer, it came back to near normal levels, dropped off again in the fall. Now is starting to come back up. Uh, Chicago didn't come back the same way. And Seattle was different and Dallas is different. They, they had their own trends. Is there is there a reason that some of these cities are coming back stronger than others? Well, I think we see different uh, political impacts, uh, local decisions of what types of restrictions are in place in each of the local markets. I think that affects the you know, amount of driving and who's going into an office and, and who's not. Um, I think you also have varying um, levels of public transit access in different cities. Uh, you know, Dallas, for example, may not be as strong in terms of public transit access as New York City would be or even Chicago. Uh, so you see different levels there. I think Denver actually had, of all the different local markets that I've looked at, Denver was one of the markets that I think had the most active summers uh, in terms of bringing uh, the data above pre-COVID norms for a, a few months um, as people were using their cars more and more in the summer months. But yeah, I mean, Seattle, uh, from peak low to January, they're up 61% versus Dallas, up 48% from their peak low to the January averages that we were pulling out. Do you see traffic around the country and here in Denver coming back to the pre-pandemic levels again this summer? I would think that the data shows us that that's what it looks like. Uh, your peak low for Denver was uh, about negative 51%, and the peak low was hit in the week of April 13th, uh, which was similar for, for many of the other markets. Your summer months, you were up above 12, you know, 10 to 15% above the pre-COVID norms uh, in the summer. You're back down now to about a negative 10%, um, but that it is showing an upward trend. And again, I think if we see a decrease in COVID cases, uh, a decrease in COVID deaths, um, we, we have the, certainly we have the dynamic of the weather change that's, that's going to be happening, right? So right now we're still dealing with a lot of snow, uh, and the winter weather, but as we get into spring and we get into summer and weather improves, driving is going to increase along with, um, the consumer confidence as it relates to, uh, and behaviors that would come out of maybe a little bit more of a, a better sentiment around, you know, public health and, and where we're at in terms of COVID-19. So yeah, I would I would think that your uh, your trend is going to continue to go up. I mean, obviously, not everybody can work from home. There's construction workers, there's plumbers, there's an electrician can't fix your broken switch uh, from his or her home. They have to come to your home. But there are some jobs that you can do remotely, not just from the same town, but really from almost anywhere, anywhere you have an internet connection. You could be living in Dallas and work here in Denver. You could be living in the Grand Cayman Islands, I guess, and, and work in, in uh, and work for a company that's in the United States. I mean, really, you could be anywhere. You, you could live in a small town and work for someone in a big city. Do you see that changing or shifting how traffic patterns are evolving? Well, I tell you what, I would love to be working in Florida myself, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I think technology is is a huge part of this, right? I mean, as as technology has continued to um, become more and more a part of our daily lives by the minute, uh, the access of platforms like Zoom and, and other video uh, conferencing platforms that companies can use to bring people together 
almost as if you're local. Uh, so, you know, I think and we're seeing companies like Facebook that are now openly putting out policies that are allowing people to work from home almost permanently, I think. Uh, and there's other more progressive companies that are doing that as well, many of them, in fact. So I think we're, we, we are seeing perhaps a cultural change in terms of how we work on a day-to-day basis and how we commute to work. Um, you know, is it necessary to sit in traffic every single day? <laughs> I, at the same time, you have other firms that are coming out and saying, hey, look, this is just a temporary thing and we have to bring people back into the office. I think one of the large uh, investment firms was uh, speaking out in the last week saying the same thing, that people are going to have to get back into the office. And I think there is benefit to, um, you know, collaboration between people in the same uh cubicle zones, if you will. <laughs> so I think people will come back to work. Uh, and I think we, ha- we need to drive as part of daily life. You know, I mean, we'd love to be driving less from a, from an emission standpoint, um, of course, but, um, you need to be able to go about your day and you have errands to run and you have places to go and the kids have to go to their sporting events and, and do things. So, um, you know, I think the other, conversational piece of this that's interesting is is where does confidence come back into play with public transit uh i know being a a new york city uh suburban resident myself um you know there's a lot of apprehension to people getting on a train or a bus with close quarters and and how do you deal with that when there could be risk of contracting COVID 19 or something so uh you know on the other hand right as part of that could more people be driving to work if they're less comfortable taking public transportation will more people in these heavy public transit cities lean on the personal vehicles uh, over public transit i think there's even some interesting car purchasing data that's out there uh, that I, I, it's not part of the data that we collect but uh that some elements of auto sales are up from people that need cars because maybe they only relied on public transportation prior to this uh, so i think there's an interesting you know, reciprocal balance or, or dynamic that could be happening as a part of all this. I'm speaking with Gil Edwards. Gil is with Iteris and Traffic Karma Mobility Trends. We're talking about how traffic has changed and how traffic patterns have changed in the years since the lockdowns. As we were talking a bit ago about the higher summer travel numbers and how more people were taking summertime road trips, uh, I was recently on, a, uh, on an airplane and it, it is getting more crowded. Uh, no more empty middle seats. There, there are people next to you. And, and for me, it's, it's inconvenient to wear a mask while I'm in the airport because you have to wear, wear it when you get to the airport, the whole time you're inside the airport, on the airplane, during the flight. Your flight could be three or four hours if you're traveling across the country and then again inside the airport when you get to your destination. So you could be wearing your mask all day long. And it is inconvenient for me, but... For some people, they really hate it, and it is it is more than inconvenient for some people, and and they've avoided flying, and they're also a little bit nervous about being with other people inside the airplane. Do you think as we see more people getting comfortable with flying, maybe as, as the vaccine is coming out, uh, that, that, that will change our traffic patterns? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, we, uh, we hundred percent believe that that's, you know, part of the summer dynamic that, that we were seeing, even my own family, we, we took a drive socially distanced in a way that, um, you know, we felt safer in the car than we did in a plane. And I think a lot of people share that. And similarly to the public transit dynamic, 
Are you trapped in the tube of an airplane with recycled air or are you in your own vehicle with your own family where you can keep track of, you know, the, uh, the risk factors that would be involved. Um, and Denver and Colorado has some of the most amazing places within driving distance to visit by car. So, um, you know, whether you live in Florida and you have access to amazing beaches or you're in Colorado and you have national parks and, and mountain vistas to see from your, from your car, uh, I think it would be a, uh, a natural assumption and dynamic to see that, that, uh, why your summer months might've been higher than, than many others. Uh, and it is true. We went looking at many local markets, the Denver car usage in the summer was higher than most of the other markets that we, uh, we analyzed. As you look at the data, you know, it's, it's weird. It's freaky. Is, is, do you have a word in your head? Is there a word that, that you have that describes what you're seeing? Yeah, it's um, it is fascinating. Um, you know, this is at Iteris. This is what we do. Uh, we we monitor three hundred fifty thousand intersections around the United States, uh, processing billions of probe points um, on an annual basis uh, to collect this data and look at it. Um, traditionally, we would look at it more in terms of the traditional commute times. I think that's where you saw the biggest impact of things. This is a truly fascinating and unique situation to look at the way the lockdown had affected people's commuting behaviors and their vehicle usage and, and where that is. I mean, I think if you look at the COVID case data or even the COVID death case, uh, we, we did even you know provide some data and, and graphs to see that dynamic. It's completely um, the inverse relationship is there. As the cases go up, the travel went down as the cases started to stabilize a little bit over the summer. The tra- you know the vehicle traffic went up as the fall impact of additional cases really took hold, and there were many markets uh, impacted by that. It took a nosedive again, uh, but not nearly to the way the impact hit in the very beginning of the pandemic. But uh, the relationship is right there as as the um, as COVID nineteen uh, continued to either grow or decrease in numbers, you know, you saw an, an inverse relationship with miles traveled or number of trips. I know you're in the business of looking at data that that's already happened, but can you look down the road and predict what traffic on the roads will be like for us in the next six months, 12 months, five years? Is it going to be the roaring twenties again? Are we going to have the flappers out? Is it going to be the great Gatsby all over again? Or, or has traffic forever changed? Yeah, I, I, uh, just yesterday, I saw like a viral video of a new song that was something like, I want to go to the pub <laughs> and people just want to get out. They want to get out with their friends. So I think there is uh, it will be interesting to see socially how we react uh, if we can be lucky enough to where this completely, you know, improves to a point of, of resolution for us. Right. What do we do as people and how do we uh, it doesn't become the roaring 20s again? I don't know. That, that would be certainly fascinating. Um, we do as a huge part of our business is predictive analytics on uh, predictive roadway analytics, uh, largely done by looking at patterns, you know, the seasonal effect of things. What did we do last 4th of July to this 4th of July? And what's the trend over the last 10 4th of July's, you know, those, those uh, key weekends that you might look at or in a day-to-day basis. Uh, this is a totally different situation, um, that, I think throws all the models for a loop, (laughs) Uh, just not knowing truly where it's gonna go. However, we do have now a pandemic and a lockdown uh, scenarios that have been going on now for just about a year. Uh, So we're coming into 
being able to see what behaviors happened after the beginning of the lockdown last year uh, and being able to lean on public health data uh, where I think we can make some assumptions. Um, is it hard predictions? I don't think so, but I, but I think it's I think it's fair to say that we can make an assumption that we should be looking at some you know pretty significant increases with uh, with um, you know our our uh, mobility data over the next you know three to six months. On one level, this lighter traffic isn't great for my job security. I but but you know on another level, I've actually enjoyed the less traffic. I, I know a lot of other people have enjoyed uh, the less traffic. Uh, there there. There is a little traffic here and there. There's sometimes I cover it during the morning drive, and uh, but 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 mostly it's been a breeze for me to get around. Um, but maybe at my detriment, the the worst traffic jams that are that I've seen are, are really around the mall or the grocery store or the In and Out Burger when they open one of those new places up. Yeah, well, I think some of that depends on when you go too, right? If if um, if you go in the morning or the evening, sure. I think in many cities during the midday hours, some of those retail locations are going to be even busier than they were before. Um, there's been some interesting data out there about you know fast food restaurants in particular, places that have access to easy drive-through access to food, and that comfort of being able to get in a drive through line, not get out of your car and interact with other people and take your food to go and, and, and get out. So, you know, there's been some data around longer lines at those places, but, but yeah, I think uh, there's certainly that dynamic where it's maybe a little easier to get around than it was before. Um, I think I could certainly get to Newark airport faster now than I could have a year ago. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see how that changes. Right. But I would think less traffic has helped shippers and truckers because the reason we have loops around cities uh, is to make it easier uh, a less congested way to get around a large urban usually congested core they don't have to worry about that right now they don't have to worry about uh, routing at odd times of days as uh, some trucking companies do to avoid some of the worst of the traffic because the traffic volume isn't out there yeah, I think they have uh, maybe a little bit easier mobility access in some cases with less, you know, highway congestion to deal with uh, at those previously typical uh, busy times on the roads. However, um, online purchasing data is through the roof and there is that trade off if you're not going to go out and buy something or you're going to order it online. So I know the volume of, of shipments by companies like Amazon are uh, are higher than maybe ever, you know, in terms of uh the, the pure volume of packages that they have to deliver. But but can they do it more efficiently with, with less traffic? Maybe so, yeah. Well, maybe that's where all this midday traffic is coming from, from all the Amazon deliveries. That could be part of it, right? <laughs> Seems like I have one every day on my door, right? <laughs> that's right. And yeah. I'm still waiting for one, well, yeah, today. <laughs> all right, Gil, Gil uh, Edwards with iTerris and Traffic Karma Mobility Trends. Thanks again so much for uh, being here on the show. Uh, appreciate all your insight and all your uh, data. Uh, thanks again, and maybe we'll check in with you again in maybe six months and see how, how it's all going again. Cool. Yeah, no, thank you for thinking of us, and I love doing it for you and, and helping out in any way. Yeah, I think it'd be a good idea to check in with Gil again, maybe in six months and see uh, where, we're at, where, where we are. And, uh, no, it's always interesting to I get that data. And I can look at pre-COVID levels versus where we are now and how traffic has really changed. And it, 
and I can still feel it. I can still see it, and I'm sure you can too in, in whatever town um, you're living in. It's not just the United States. It's all around the world. It's, it's really been changed. Um, you know, I mentioned to Gil about how trucking companies have not had to worry about routing around a city and they, and they, or at off times because there isn't as much traffic. And uh, Walmart is going to start using more autonomous trucks. And that could help with more of the delivering efficiency as well. Um, they, they've had these, these tests using a safety driver in these trucks. But it, this year, they say they're going to run fully autonomous um, and Walmart's going to be running these trucks. All Walmart, obviously, is a huge retailer. Obviously, they sell a lot of stuff, and they have a lot of trucks on the road. So, And they are all about looking for ways to save money, and if they think that autonomous trucks can save money, well, then they're, they're going to push forward with it. Um, and they're going to try to link their warehouses to the super centers and have, have uh, automation uh, all throughout the country eventually. So... We'll see how that keeps going. And, you know, it's no secret. I mentioned um, about air travel uh, with Gil, and I didn't talk about cruises. There's no secret that I, I love cruising. I've, I've been on 10. I was booked for number 11 in May. It was for my in-laws' anniversary. We were all planning on going to New York City and then sailing to Canada, up to New Brunswick, I think. It would have been our first cold weather cruise, uh, a non-beach cruise, but it was canceled last month because, well, Canada, they, they closed their ports, so we had no place to dock, and I don't think Royal Caribbean just wanted to push off and then <laughs> sail in the middle, just, just got to float around. I think you have to dock somewhere internationally uh, to have one of those cruises uh, go from the U.S. port, um, and, so the, the, and then Royal Caribbean pushed back their sail dates to early June, and they're not going to be sailing out of any of the U.S. ports. You have to be vaccinated. You, the kids have to be tested before you can get on board, and they're going to be sailing out of the Caribbean uh, and then sailing around there and not coming to U.S. ports. And I'm concerned uh, as an avid cruiser that, that if a cruise goes out and some people get sick on, this, on, on, these, on these ships, that, that cruising is going to be in more trouble. I was reading a story not too long ago that, that some travel experts think that the cruise industry might not return to pre-pandemic levels until 2030. That's nearly 10 years away. Now, some say sooner. I think it will be sooner, but we'll see. Either way, there's going to be a long uh, way to go before smooth sailing for the cruise lines. The CEO of Spring Owl Asset Management is Jason Adder. He was talking to Yahoo Finance. And he says that the vaccine that's going around now, most people are getting it. I'm actually scheduled to get it later this week. He says it might not be the panacea for the cruise industry versus airlines or leisure hotels and, and where the outlook might be a little bit better. He says the perception of the cruise industry is that it's a floating Petri dish, and that's a bad perception. And, and really, it has been. I mean, I, I just think about before the coronavirus outbreaks on cruise ships, uh, you, you, I mean, you did have the the virus leaving people and the, and the cruise boats stranded out in in the middle of the ocean for for quite some time before they were even allowed back in port. You remember, you remember that at the beginning of the pandemic. Well, even before that, you, you would hear about the norovirus and other people getting sick on a cruise ship because viruses can travel easily between people on a on a ship 
because they're all in close quarters. We've all learned that the air is not circulated from your room to a central place and cleaned and then comes back to your room. It basically goes from room to room to room, so it's more dirty air that you're breathing, somebody's virus germs that you're breathing, and so it's easy to spread disease on a ship. And I think a lot of that has changed over the last year, and cruises will be... Uh, cleaner. They're going to be uh, less virus prone, I think. Uh, they, they can't allow themselves to be more pri- uh, virus prone. Uh, but in this recent Spring Owl Asset Management survey, they found that 80% of respondents who have never cruised before say they would avoid getting on a ship. And they don't think that they're going to return, the cruise ships will return to pre- peak profitability until 2030. And he thinks that that's a, a function of, of demand not coming back. It's not, it's not that, because I think uh, people will want to go on cruises, but, uh, but the prices, they think, will be a challenge. Because people are not going to pay a premium for going on a cruise right now because they, they're not sure if it's safe yet. And I keep getting e- emails from cruise lines with super, super deep discounts and, and the and – the, uh, guarantee that if, if we book it now, we can cancel it almost to the day that you're going to sail. I mean, not quite that like that, but I mean, pretty close. And they, they just want you to book a cruise so they know that there's some demand there. But I, I keep getting these dip, deep, deep discounts on all these different and these different offers about kids sailing free and free drinks and uh, spa options. Um, and it, it it's never really happened like this before. Cruise passengers in the past have never had this type of uh, freedom. And then like my in-laws, when, when Royal Caribbean canceled the cruise, they, they were offered either their money back or 125% of their cruise fare for another cruise. Well, they opted to get their money back just because they're not sure if they're going to be able to go on another cruise again. So they just, they just wanted to say, uh, we'll just start again. But, but I've, I've, I've seen that actually my brother has booked a couple of cruises They've all been canceled, and he has like 200 and something percent credit on these cruise lines because they keep canceling and giving him more and more credit. So, and cruise passengers tend to be a pretty loyal group. Um, I think 81, 80% or so of luxury cruise passengers plan on taking a cruise when they start opening up again, but they're going to have to wait till they're vaccinated first. And I think that's going to be the, the key. Richard Branson's cruise lines will require all passengers to be vaccinated, but they're all adults anyway, so you can't get on if you're not an adult. You, they, they don't do any kids on, so they don't have to worry about kids or the testing or that stuff. Um, but to get back to normal levels of profitability, it, I, I don't think it just, it doesn't just take the demand coming back. It takes a, a combination of, of, of pricing um, and also demand. So you have to have a good mix of all of that for the lines to be profitable and for the people to feel safe and, and, and think it's still a good value to get on these ships. Um, and, and, you know, it could take some time. It could take some time. So we'll see how that goes. I know some of the cruise lines, uh, Royal or not, uh, uh, cel- uh, not Celebrity, because they're with Royal Caribbean, uh, Carnival has actually sold off a couple of ships so they can try to have some money. But there are new ships that are supposed to be coming out. I think there were 15 or so new ships scheduled to come out uh, uh, this this year, Um, which would mean higher capacity, which would help keep fares low. But I guess we'll have to wait till see how it uh, 
how it all shakes out. I can't wait to get on a cruise ship again. I know everybody thinks I'm crazy, um, but yeah, I think it'll be great. All right, so next week I'm going to be talking to uh, Teletraffic. Yeah, I'll be speaking to uh, Brett Myloff. He is the founder, the CEO of Teletraffic. It's a company uh, that is, what they do is they uh, get traffic data and they provide it for TV stations, radio stations. Um, and they do all the incident data and the flow data. And, they, and they, that's, that's basically what they do. It's like we're a partner at, at uh, my station, Denver 7, with Total Traffic. Total Traffic's a big player. Metro Traffic used to be Shadow Traffic. I mean, there was a whole bunch of them. Uh, and so Teletraffic is pretty big, and they they are actually in some pretty big markets. So it'll be interesting to hear from Brett about uh, how uh, the pandemic's uh, traffic, how it stopped, and how it affected them and, and his business, and where he thinks traffic is going to be going in the future. Because, um, you know, maybe he, like me, is, is a little bit concerned about uh, the future of our business. But then again, traffic is traffic. It's, I mean, there will probably always be traffic. It's just depending on what kind of level and... And uh, if it's if the information is really needed, I guess we'll uh, we'll talk to Brett and find out his uh, feelings about all of that for us next time. Anyway, thanks again for being here. Please, uh, if you can, uh, go ahead and uh, contact me either by the phone number, email, Twitter, whatever it is. It's all there on the description of the show, and you can reach me there. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.